Section 42 of Expository Thoughts on the Gospel of St. Matthew by J. C. Ryle Chapter 14, verses 13 to 21 Miracle of the Loaves and Fishes This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 to 21 And when Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart, and when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot, out of the cities. And Jesus went forth, and saw a great multitude, and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitudes away, that they may go into the villages, and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, Bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass, and took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed, and brake, and gave the loaves to his disciples, and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled, and they took up of the fragments that remained twelve baskets full. And they that had eaten were about five thousand men, besides women and children. These verses contain one of our Lord Jesus Christ's greatest miracles, the feeding of five thousand men, besides women and children, with five loaves and two fishes. Of all the miracles worked by our Lord, not one is so often mentioned in the New Testament as this. Matthew Mark, Luke, and John all dwell upon it. It is plain that this event in our Lord's history is intended to receive special attention. Let us give it that attention, and see what we may learn. In the first place, this miracle is an unanswerable proof of our Lord's divine power. To satisfy the hunger of more than five thousand people, with so small a portion of food as five loaves and two fishes, would be manifestly impossible without a supernatural multiplication of the food. It was a thing that no magician, impostor, or false prophet would ever have attempted. Such a person might possibly pretend to cure a single sick person, or raise a single dead body, and by jugglery and trickery might persuade weak people that he succeeded. But such a person would never attempt such a mighty work as that which is here recorded he would know well that he could not persuade ten thousand men, women, and children that they were full when they were hungry. He would be exposed as a cheat and impostor on the spot. Yet this is the mighty work which our Lord actually performed, and by performing it gave a conclusive proof that he was God. He called that into being which did not before exist. He provided visible, tangible, material food for ten thousand people, out of a supply which in itself would not have satisfied fifty. Surely we must be blind if we do not see in this the hand of him who provideth food for all flesh, and made the world and all that therein is. To create is the peculiar prerogative of God. We ought to lay firm hold on such passages as this. We should treasure up in our minds every evidence of our Lord's divine power, the cold, orthodox, unconverted man may see little in the story. The true believer should store it in his memory. Let him think of the world, 
the devil, and his own heart, and learn to thank God that his Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, is Almighty. In the second place, this miracle is a striking example of our Lord's compassion toward men. He saw a great company in a desert place, ready to faint for hunger. He knew that many in that company had no true faith and love towards himself. They followed him from fashion and curiosity, or some equally low motive. John chapter 6, verse 26. But our Lord had pity upon all. All were relieved. All partook of the food miraculously provided. All were filled, and none went hungry away. Let us see in this the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ toward sinners. He is, as he was of old, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. He does not deal with men according to their sins, or reward them according to their iniquities. He loads even his enemies with benefits. None will be so excuseless as those who are found impenitent at last. The Lord's goodness leads them to repentance. Romans chapter 2 verse 4. In all his dealings with men on earth, he showed himself one that delighteth in mercy. Micah chapter 7 verse 18. Let us strive to be like him. We ought, says Quesnel, to have abundance of pity and compassion on diseased souls. In the last place, this miracle is a lively emblem of the sufficiency of the gospel to meet the soul wants of all mankind. There can be little doubt that all our Lord's miracles have a deep figurative meaning and teach great spiritual truths, but they must be handled reverently and discreetly. Care must be taken that we do not, like many of the fathers, see allegories where the Holy Spirit meant none to be seen, but perhaps, if there is any miracle which has a manifest figurative meaning, in addition to the plain lessons which may be drawn from its surface, it is that which is now before us. What does this hungry multitude in a desert place represent to us? It is an emblem of all mankind. The children of men are a large assembly of perishing sinners, famishing in the midst of a wilderness world, helpless, hopeless, and on the way to ruin. We have all gone astray like lost sheep. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6. We are all by nature far away from God. Our eyes may not be opened to the full extent of our danger, but in reality we are wretched and miserable, and poor and blind and naked. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17. There is but a step between us and everlasting death. What do these loaves and fishes represent? apparently so inadequate to meet the necessities of the case, but by miracle made sufficient to feed ten thousand people. They are an emblem of the doctrine of Christ crucified for sinners, as their vicarious substitute, and making atonement by his death for the sin of the world. That doctrine seems to the natural man weakness itself. Christ crucified was to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. And yet Christ crucified has proved the bread of God which cometh down from heaven, and giveth life to the world. John chapter 6, verse 33. 
the story of the cross has amply met the spiritual wants of mankind wherever it has been preached thousands of every rank age and nation are witnesses that it is the wisdom of god and the power of god they have eaten of it and been filled they have found it meat indeed and drink indeed let us ponder these things well there are great depths in all our lord jesus christ's recorded dealings upon earth which no one has ever fully fathomed there are mines of rich instruction in all his words and ways which no one has thoroughly explored many a passage of the gospels is like the cloud which elijah's servant saw first kings chapter eighteen verse forty four the more we look at it the greater it will appear there is an inexhaustible fullness in scripture other writings seem comparatively threadbare when we become familiar with them but as to scripture the more we read it the richer we shall find it end of section forty two